0: Honored members, ladies and gentlemen, for distinguished achievement in the theater, the Sarah Siddons Award, to Miss Eve Harry. I'm gonna take you to Margot. Oh no. Oh yes, she's got to meet you. She's quite a girl, is what's her name? Eve, i would forgotten they grew that way. I take it, she read well. It wasn't a reading, it was a performance. Brilliant, vivid, something made of music and fire.
1: How nice. After all you've said, don't you know that part was written for Margot? It might have been 15 years ago. It's my part now. You're quite a girl. You think? Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night.
0: I'd do all that just for a part and play. I'd do much more for a part that good. Why do they always look like unhappy rabbits? Because that's what they are. They're gonna make him happy. There never was and there never will be another like you.
1: Fasten your seatbelts; it's going to be a bumpy podcast. Welcome back to the Essential Films Podcast, a podcast devoted to discussion of the greatest movies ever made, or the essential films. I'm Adolfo Costa, and I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Mark Espinoza. How are you doing today, sir? Pretty good, my uh, my friend. How you doing? Uh, pretty good. All things considered, you know. Before we started uh, recording, we were talking about our current situations in the in our new world, uh, in our post corona world um still still both of us uh in quarantine uh still both of us thankfully not uh not suffering financially uh which is good um but we're both still you know theaters are still closed haven't seen any new actual films or anything uh so that's that's kind of a bummer but you know yeah. i guess it's the price we have to pay i did uh i did actually get to see uh birds of prey um i did um i did purchase that on uh on on demand. I thought that was actually oh, not cool. a bad film. Yeah, um, it was all right. Uh and I did I get I did get around to purchasing The Invisible Man, but I have not watched that yet. So Oh, you have to. You maybe have maybe to. we'll we'll discuss that one on a future force perspective.
0: Yes, definitely.
1: Uh what 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 uh, cinematic experiences you've been having in uh in uh, the the Espinosa home theaters.
0: That's a great question actually because I've been uh in in the downtime now that we have in quarantine, I've been kind of catching up on some of the stuff that I bought, but I haven't opened yet or I haven't like been able to watch. And that now I have plenty of time to watch anything I want. Right. So I went back and started watching some of my, uh, sleazy films, like some of like the, like the exploitation ones I've been collecting over the last couple of years. But to kind of preface that, I actually started going back and reading some of the books, um, about like 42nd street and in, in that era of grindhouse cinema that I've been kind of like put, leaving on the shelf, collecting dust. Um, and uh, one of them is actually called Sleazoid Express, which <laughs> I've been meaning to read for a while. Like a that. that it, it, yeah, damn right. It is. So uh, just on Amazon, just type in express, I think it's Bill Landis is the author. Um, and he pretty much just goes through the history of 42nd street. Now, if you want that book in documentary form, there's a great documentary about Forty Second Street on the uh, Grindhouse Blu-ray of Pieces. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie Pieces, that uh, the Spanish um, horror film.
1: I I do know that film. Uh, I've 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 seen it. <laughs> no pun intended in pieces, but uh, not as, <laughs> not in its full complete glory.
0: Ah uh, okay. Well if you purchase the Grindhouse releasing Blu-ray of Pieces, there's a great documentary on this too about the history of Forty Second Street. Um and how like each of their theaters had its own character, like for example, uh the New Amsterdam Theater, which is still there by the way on Broadway, which now houses the Lion King Broadway musical. Mm. Um uh the New Amsterdam was more of the mainstream one. Uh there was one called the Liberty Theater that showed all the cannibal films, Cannibal Holocaust, Cannibal Ferox. Um and then some of them had their own reputations that, like, based on the upkeep and the clientele they would get, and like each theater has like their own little story to tell. And That's what the book, you know, likes to expand upon. Uh, and through that book, I've been able to catch up on some of the stuff, like Cannibal Ferox. I've been able to watch some of the the Fulci films, like New York Ripper. Uh, I actually also got to catch um, the Americanized version of Zombie Holocaust, which was called Doctor Butcher, M.D. I finally <laughs> caught up on that one. <laughs> Oh, dude, some of these americanized versions of like these these like uh foreign sleaze, uh, sleazy films are like they're amazing. <laughs> and like and the the extent that they went to like um you know uh bring them to the US but like uh quote-unquote americanize them because they didn't think Americans would watch like, Italian horror films and and, and you know. Uh like there was um freak uh the beyond, like Lucio Fulci's The Beyond came to America as Seven Doors of Death.
1: <laughs> Just like <laughs>
0: I, I get where the title came from, but there's almost no reference other than the beginning to Seven Doors, right? So it's just like they only really took that one line and made it to, and made it the title of the movie, which is wacky enough it itself. But um, so yeah, I've been catching up on some of these these like really fun exploitation movies, uh, and then on top of that, I was I've been watching the uh my PBS documentary of the Vietnam War, which I actually DVR'd. Um, the entire series the Ken Burns Vietnam War documentary, but uh, unfortunately they got deleted through some mishap Right, So I ended up buying the blu-ray set, which actually wasn't too expensive It really is and I'm such a, as far as like studying the Vietnam War I've been doing that. I don't know if I mentioned on four Spectrum before but I've been studying that war since I was in college I've just been fascinated with that war and its implications. So I naturally gobbled up that that documentary and then i went back and watched all of my vietnam war films like platoon apocalypse now hamburger hill born the fourth of july um all these great movies right i even watched tropic thunder as a as out of the hell of it you know um so that's how i've been spending my quarantine i've been watching also some of the um some just more recent stuff that i haven't been able to get to um i finally uh, uh sonic the hedgehog finally came out on blu-ray so i picked that up i watched that again it's still a fun movie but def- I would I would rent Sonic too, since I know you're kind of into like, you know, the video games and what I know it's kind of it's wacky and Jim Carrey, you know, makes it wacky in and of itself, but it's def- I'd say it's worth checking out. Uh, I, like assume, I
1: assume it's kid friendly, right? Yes, of course. Okay, then maybe, maybe uh maybe you might I'll get it for my daughter and we can watch it together. Yeah. Um so you know you're talking about exploitation films, and it triggered something in me that I I, I wanted to I I wanted to mention, uh, uh, in the future. But like I had in one, but now I, I it just reminded me of it. Um, speaking of exploitation films, uh, have you heard of the movie um, Corona Zombies? yes i have. Re- released by full moon features the the immortal uh the modern day uh, i would say um uh canon studios full moon features uh, <laughs> yes, canon films um which takes uh which when i when I saw the trailer for it, i'm like okay how did they make this so quickly and it and and I got my <laughs> answer very quick is that all they did was just film a few scenes. And then re-edit those scenes into mo- the movies Hell of the Living Dead and Zombies versus Strippers, <laughs> and then add some news footage of Donald, Donald Trump. And then they made a new movie. So there, there you go, go. Uh, Corona Zombies. I have not seen Corona Zombies. I, I can't imagine it's uh, it has a a good uh, a good um, Metacritic score, if you will. Uh, let, let's just see, out of curiosity, let's see what it's rated on uh, IMDb. I think there's a part two already. <laughs> IMDB gives it a 2.6. Uh, and what does, I don't know if Rotten Tomatoes, oh, Rotten Tomatoes does have one. Let's see. And it's at a whopping 57% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is higher than I expected.
0: <laughs> I think there's a there's a part two already that they, that they did.
1: Really? No, there's going to be a part two. There's going to be a part two. Well, of course there is. Uh, oh, you know what? The reason it's only fifty-seven percent is because there's only three reviews. (laughs) So, so when there's only three reviews, you know, I guess that it's easier to get a higher score. Uh, But yes, Corona Zombies. Never leave it to the film industry to let nothing go unexploited. So,
0: according to Dead Central, the uh, let me see. Let me see. It says Full Moon's Corona Zombies hit back on April 10th, and already the studios announced a sequel centering on Netflix's Tiger King series called Barbie and Kendra Save the Tiger King. Oh, so there you go.
1: I've never watched Tiger King. I never will watch Tiger King. I refuse to watch Tiger King. <laughs>
0: Well, at least you got through one episode. I've gotten through exactly zero. Oh, so, no, I haven't
1: i have gotten through, like, one episode. I've gotten through, like, half of an episode, and I was like, oh, okay. I, I'm done. This is this is not for me.
0: I mean, I, you know what it is? Like, I saw the trailer for it when I was catching up on... Believe it or not, I was catching up on some of the old uh, Dark Side of the Ring episodes from Season 1 mm. and on the Vice website, right? And during the ad break, they would always show a trailer for Tiger King, but this is before it came out. Like, it's, like, the... Maybe two weeks before it actually dropped on Netflix They were showing a trailer for Tiger King I'm like you know what This looks kind of interesting I might watch it But then like by the time You know it came out like there was all this hype around it I was like you know what I don't want to watch it (laughs) Like like it's being hyped up too much And I'm going to be disappointed by it now if I watch it So I'm just not going to watch it
1: All right, moving on to our topic for this episode, uh, the 1950 film directed by Joseph L. Mankiewicz, all about Eve. Uh, It was directed by Mankiewicz, also with a screenplay by Mankiewicz, uh, based on the short story The Wisdom of Eve by Mary Orr, starring Betty Davis, Ann Baxter, George Sanders, Celeste Holm, Gary Merrill, Hugh Marlowe, Thelma Ritter, and a very young Marilyn Monroe, uh, distributed by 20th Century Fox, uh, and it was originally released on October 13th, 1950. Mark, what is your history uh, with this film? Now, with All About Eve, I think with
0: me, it was one of those things that just kind of came out of happenstance, because and this is going to be a weird story. But, so, about, what is it, 2020? About 11 years ago, this was 2009, I'm sitting at Yankee Stadium, and, yo, know, I'm telling you, this going to be weird. I'm sitting at Yankee Stadium, right, at a Yankee game with my cousin, um, and in between innings, I'm, like, going on my phone and all that, blah, 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 and at the time, I was, I had, like, subscribed to, like, Amazon's uh, deal of the day, like, sales that they would usually tend to have. I mean, they still do, but it's not like... Usually it'd be tailored toward movies, like, every other day or whatnot, right? Like, you get a deal-of-the-day email that says, you know, oh, The Godfather, Coppola Restoration, uh, on sale for 25 bucks, right? So I get those emails, like, every day, every other day, that had to do with movies that they were on, had on sale for the day, right? So while I'm sitting at Yankee Stadium for this game, right, in between innings, I'm on my phone, and then I get this email from Amazon that says, deal-of-the-day, you know, select uh, Digibook Blu-rays are on sale I think for like fifteen bucks or whatever it was, right? Um or what it, I can't remember how much. I think it was around fifteen bucks and among them where it was all about Eve. Do you have that copy, the digit Book, the original one? I do. I do have that one. Yes. And now you have the there's the Criterion one, which I believe right now as of this recording, it's on sale for like nineteen bucks oh, on Amazon. Nice. So um I haven't picked that up yet because I have my fingers crossed that Barnes and Noble will be open in July, and I can go in and get the additional discount with my membership. But um, so yeah, so among the digital books that were on sale was All About Eve, um, and on as part of that purchase, I picked up that one. I picked up Butch Cassidy, the Sundance Kid, and The Hustler. So those are the three I picked up during nice. that sale.
1: I have the Butch Cassidy digital book as well. I do not have The Hustler.
0: Yeah, and. Because I had heard about all those movies, I knew All About Eve was a Best Picture winner, so I was in the process of starting to collect those as well at that time. I picked it up just kind of as a blind buy. Like, oh, what's the Best Picture winner? You know, at least I have to have in the collection just for that sake, right? So they come in, and I start watching them, and I watch All About Eve, and it's one of those things where, like, you watch it, and you just know as you're watching it, you're watching something great as everything unfolds, right? Like, I was just amazed by the performances. I was The the story was captivating. Um... The cinematography was excellent. And it just it got stuck in my head for a long time. And I you know I got to the end of the film and I'm like, damn, that was a freaking good movie. And I didn't use the word freaking. <laughs> but that was, but that was. And freaking, he didn't say
1: freaking. Right. I didn't say freaking.
0: Um, and then like ever since, like I've just I've grown to love that movie. Like it's just amazing up, you know, from top to bottom. Just everything about it is just is so good and we can get into more of the nuance as we talk about the movie but from that first experience like I'll never forget like, you always like I always say on these episodes you you only get one first viewing and like that first viewing just took my breath away absolutely
1: yeah th- th- this is um i mean it's a film that uh the dialogue in this film is something that cannot be matched right like and I think that's what really I take away from it the most like the first time I saw it I was just like holy crap the writing in this movie like it's it's incredible like there's nothing really like it um, people people it's almost kind of like too perfect because people don't really necessarily talk like that but it doesn't really matter just because it sounds so good coming out of these actresses mouths you know right um but it is uh kind of a you know, in an in, an in incredible uh an incredible writing achievement. And it like so no wonder that uh that it was you know <laughs> it has the reputation that, that it has. Right. Um so that was the first time so how long ago was that? That was two thousand and nine. Okay. So that was okay so wow well, yeah 11 years ago you're right yeah, that's what you yeah. said I, I forgot that you had mentioned that <laughs> But yeah that that's wow Um so yeah I watched it um quite a bit um uh quite a bit earlier than that uh I watched it actually not quite a bit like only a, probably a little bit earlier than that I watched it Oh let me think um maybe 15 years ago or so uh it was um, when i was on my quest to watch all of the movies on the uh imdb uh, 250 and the uh afi 100 and uh you know i whenever i was burning through all the uh all those movies and i got the uh, all about eve disc cuz uh, that's when i watched it for the first time watched it by myself at home and in a couch so somehow i went through all of film school without anybody ever showing us this film but yeah. um and it's you know i went and it, it kind of just like you, I watched it and I sat there and I was like, how, how is this? This movie is in, incredible. It, the the Just the dialogue, the acting, the the performances, the the cinematography from top to bottom, the, the whole movie is one of those movies that are just like absolutely perfect. There's just like no flaw in the film at all. Right um but yeah so that that's basically there's no real big story to mine it was just like it was one of those movies that i was knocking off my checklist of uh greatest movies of all time and i got to it uh, i got to it one day and i watched it so unfortunately there's no great story behind it but that's that's my history of it um i have owned uh the film in several formats i have owned it uh i owned the origin the dvd uh then i got the digibook that you own and then now i do own the um the uh, Criterion Blu-ray. So I did double dip uh, on the Blu-ray, so I have two versions of it, but that's okay cuz I don't want to get rid of the digibook. It's a nice digibook. It know? really is. Yeah. So, but the the Criterion has so many good features, so
0: that's <clears> that's <throat> my whole my sole reason for double dipping on that cuz the bonus stuff on Criterion like is so good.
1: Yeah, so I'm going to keep both of them uh, regardless. Um but yeah, it's a really it's a fantastic film. So uh, let's let's dive into some of our still some of the kind of background on all about Eve here. Um. So, it, as I mentioned at the top, uh, it was based on a uh, sh- a story called "The Wisdom of Eve" by an author named Mary Orr, and that story was based on something that that Mary Orr had been told by an actress named uh, Elizabeth Berger or Ber- Bergner. I'm not sure Berger, how to pronounce it. Yeah. Uh, that uh, basically mimics a lot of what happened in all about Eve. She was an actress that was playing a part a young fan, love very obsessed young fan kind of wormed her way into her life and into her house and then and got employed as her assistant and then shortly thereafter started, you know, wreaking havoc and uh, and kind of trying to take uh, take over her life and under, and undermine her. So this was you know uh and then apparently later on that the, this actress did confirm that the events in the story while fictional were based in reality, and a lot of that did actually happen. Um, so so there's kind of a lot of levels of, of based on, you know, based on stories here, right? Like right. an actual incident, then a short story, and then the film itself. Um, and then, so uh, someone had just felt Mankiewicz was already writing a story about like a an out-of-war, or like an older actress that was kind of past her prime, and then he ended up reading the, the, the story and then kind of started combining elements of both into like a new script uh he he's then sent uh uh let's see he he did change some of the the, the the he did keep certain aspects like the eve harrington and the relationship with lloyd and karen uh but uh he did um change something like uh he changed her name from Margola Cranston to Margot Channing, which is a much better name. Good choice. Uh, uh and uh he ended up um replacing her husband. She had a husband in the in the in the play, or in the original story, and he replaced her with uh Bill Sampson, who's just like a boyfriend. Right. Uh so that's uh those are kind of the major changes the, that uh Joseph L. Mackwitz did. Um so also as far as the background goes, um there are certain different casting choices. We always go through like the different casting choices that they originally had in mind, so I, I think these are always kind of fascinating. Um, it was originally written for uh, Susan Hayward, who was only like in her 30s at the time, uh, but Daryl F. Zanuck, who was the head of uh, 20th Century Fox at the time, which, by the way, I guess this makes it a Disney movie now, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Uh, said that she was too young. Uh, and then the next idea was to have Marlena Dietrich play it, but then she was... Uh, Rejected for being too German, <laughs> um, and then eventually, it kind of, uh, they wanted to go to Barbara Stanwyck, which could have been interesting, but she was unavailable. Uh, Tulua Bankhead also considered, and uh, Joan Crawford, who was kind of Betty Davis's uh, kind of off-screen rival, she was also considered, but she was also uh, unavailable. She was working on a different film, and then uh, eventually, actually, eventually was cast was Claudette Colbert but then she got injured um and my research didn't say what she was injured uh what her injury was so they finally went to betty davis which is interesting because betty davis kind of a big star and she ended up getting this like after like six or seven people were either rejected or turned it down which i think is odd yeah i mean that's just you know it's
0: one of those just like things that just comes down to luck at that
1: point um this is also kind of uh, at the time when she was trying to have a career resurgence herself, because she had just been she'd just gotten out of a long contract with Warner Brothers, and the last several films that she had been in had bombed, uh, so that so she was kind of like in a in a position to like show the world like, hey, I'm still Betty Davis here.
0: Yeah, and it's one of those, um, and they kept trying to uh, tell Mankiewicz too, from what I was you know reading about this as well, they were. They kept trying to convince Mankiewicz, "Don't hire her, don't hire her." There was a, c- a couple of like his peers that were actually actively saying to him, "Like, don't hire her. Like, she's gonna she's gonna grind you into dust." One of them said, "I forgot which director it was. I might have, I might be able to look it up while we're talking." But I don't I remember reading like this one director told Benko, was "Like, you know, you don't want to hire her. She's gonna grind you into dust. Like, she's terrible and whatnot." And uh, good thing he didn't listen to them.
1: Yeah, and and you know, Betty Davis has had a you know a reputation for being. Uh, a difficult uh, personality, shall we say, a diva. Uh, but I mean, perfect. I mean, this is this was like a perfect role for her. So thankfully for everyone involved, she did end up getting hired. Um, right. And Baxter was hired, um, did not too much, didn't, from what I can see, not a lot of different casting choices for her, for the Eve Harrington role. Um, they did want uh, an actress named Jean Crane, uh, but according to, I believe it was Zanuck said, she lacked the bitch virtuosity that Ann Baxter had. Uh, his, his words, not mine. Yeah. Um, and uh, Bill Simpson, Bill Sampson sh- was going to be a couple of different people, including uh, either John Garfield or Ronald Reagan, which I think would have yeah. been, um, quite frankly, terrible. I'm not sure if you've seen a lot of Ronald Reagan's acting. He was not good. He was really <laughs> kind of hammy. And I'm not letting personal politics kind of seep into it here. He was just not great. He was kind of a hammy actor. I don't think he could have delivered this dialogue. Ronald Reagan could have delivered this dialogue, to be honest.
0: Let's see. So a couple things. Um, First, apparently Claudia Colbert threw out her back. It doesn't say what she was doing, but she threw out her back sometime before the start of shooting, which is why she had to be replaced. Okay. Uh, And the uh, director that had told Mankiewicz, he said, quote, have you gone mad? This woman will destroy you. She will grind you down to a fine powder and blow you away. That was Edmund Golding. Who said that to
1: Mankiewicz? Why do I know that name? I feel like I've probably seen movies of his and I can't think of what they are right now. <laughs>
0: and apparently came from experience because he said that he directed Davis in four pictures prior to this. So
1: apparently he knew what he was talking about, but Yeah, I mean it I must have been a bit yeah. Oh interesting. Interesting.
0: And <laughs> I can probably find out what those movies are right now.
1: So so
0: why you go ahead with the next the next uh, bullet point, but let me find out what those
1: movies were. All right. Um also considered uh for the um for the film uh Nancy Davis who became later on became Nancy Reagan so another Reagan connection uh was considered for the Karen role and uh Jose Ferrer considered was considered for Addison DeWitt interestingly enough um jaja gabor was was trying to get into the film as phoebe who is the young fan that shows up at the end of the film um but interestingly enough they were considering her for another role which was the marilyn monroe miss caswell part obviously that went to monroe as well angela lansbury was also considered for the role of miss caswell uh which is which would have been interesting because i don't feel like she would have had that kind of Glamorous look that Jaja or Marilyn Monroe had. So it's interesting that she was in the same right. consideration. Not that she was on a like an ugly young lady. I'm just saying she didn't. Have, she doesn't have that kind of vibe that Monroe or uh, or Jaja Gabor had.
0: Well, um, before you go on, I did find that the Edmund Golding was the director of The Razor's Edge from 1946, oh. which is I think Anne Baxter won the Oscar for she that. She
1: did win an Oscar for that. Yeah. Uh,
0: best so supporting, he was the director. Yep, and then he directed Davis in Old Acquaintance from 1943, haven't The seen Great that. Lie from
1: 1941,
0: I Haven't seen that, uh, The Old Maid from 1939, and Dark Victory also in nineteen thirty. I have
1: seen Dark Victory. That's where I've seen. Okay, so I've seen Dark Victory.
0: Okay, that had also Humphrey Bogart in it, right?
1: Yes, yeah. and Ronald Reagan. Speaking
0: <laughs> was thinking <laughs> of uh, state <laughs> Reagan Yeah
1: Yeah, uh, yeah that, I've, I've seen Dark Victory It's a good film um, yeah. so, Okay I knew I knew his name Oh But he kept working with her for Several times So maybe But then again I mean Back in those days You ne- didn't necessarily Have a choice If you were under A studio contract You kind of had to Do what you were told so. Yeah um, Oh he also
0: uh, Golding also worked uh, With Celeste Holm The year before In Everybody Does It which is also from 20th Century Fox. I'm seeing here, so we, there's some connections
1: here. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of connections here. Yeah, interesting. Um, let's see what else. Uh, so, speaking of uh, Betty Davis being notoriously difficult, um, apparently it, it uh, she, she scared the crap out of Marilyn Monroe. Um, that uh, there was a c- you know the scene where they meet in the lobby of the right. uh, of the of the theater apparently took uh, Marilyn Monroe uh, eleven takes to, to complete the scene and M- Marilyn by the way was kind of a notor- notoriously always did take a lot of takes take a lot of takes always did <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say she always did have a lot of takes so uh, to get things perfect and uh, apparently uh, Betty Davis uh, yelled at her so badly that she had to go throw up. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there you go. Uh, maybe that reputation is well-earned by Betty Davis.
0: Yeah, I mean, it seems like it. <laughs>
1: um, so uh, I'm going to get into, like, the main plot of the movie, unless you have any other kind of background stuff you want to get into. Uh,
0: no, no. I think you pretty much – we pretty much cover everything. All
1: right, so the movie begins uh, in a kind of a uh, – Kind of like an award ceremony it looks like a very stuffy award ceremony um we we get uh, some some uh narration by uh, Addison DeWitt, who is a a theater critic uh very stuffy theater critic uh and he kind of starts introducing the major players he introduces the uh uh he introduces Margot Channing uh played by Betty davis he introduces um uh you know Karen. He introduces Bill. He introduces Lloyd, and then of course he talks about Eve, and it's like, and, and here's Eve. We're going to learn all about Eve. Uh, so we got a titular moment there, um, and then, so it's an award ceremony, and the, she's give, being given an award, and it kind of freeze frames uh, before, like we're, we're we find out what really happens before we hear her speech. We kind of go to like a flashback of how we how we got here. Um, we we flash back to. I don't know. Did it ever actually say how long ago it was? Cuz I feel like it's it's at least some time because at the end of the film they talk about a uh Eve Harrington fan club. So you got to figure that it's got to be around long enough for there to be fan clubs around, right? But how long do you think the movie takes place in? Cuz I don't know if they ever say.
0: I don't think they say either, but I would assume it's it has to be like 3 years, maybe 3-4 years prior to this, because, you know, for it to happen within for all the stuff that happens to happen within, like, one or two years, like, it doesn't seem like it's accurate. You know? It'd be too fast.
1: Yeah. I don't know. They, they never get really go into it, so it's a, it's a little difficult. I mean, they do, but they do kind of emphasize that her rise to stardom is very, like, meteoric. Right. But... Mm, I don't know. It just seems, like, too fast to me. Anyway. Um, so she... so you know we, we from this uh, little kind of stuffy awards banquet ceremony thing we got we we cut to um some time ago whatever that how long that is and we start getting some narration from Karen at this point instead of Addison um and she's kind of uh coming uh backstage after a a Broadway performance where she sees Eve who's kind of in this like overcoat and like crappy little hat and she's all kind of disheveled looking and then she kind of says you've been here like every night haven't you? I've seen you like every night and it comes to Eve kind of eventually admits that she's been coming to like every single performance since the show's opened.
0: So before I come in on that I want to backtrack a little bit to uh, to the awards dinner because one of the things that catches you as the viewer immediately is that as Addison DeWitt, as we come to know him as, starts kind of introducing the major players that we're gonna see in this movie. Just look at them as he's introducing. Them. Like he's describing them and whatnot, like and you get that, right? But just look at them. Look at the body language. And everybody is either pissed or looks bored. And just at when you see like that's how everybody is coming off as you're already like hooked because it's like, okay. Why is everybody so pissed off, right? So some, some shit must have gone down. Like, something must have happened, right? And, you know, and especially, like, I think Betty Davis does the best here because, like, you see her kind of just casually, like, you know, she takes a cigarette out. She, like, taps it, like, three times. You know, she lights it. She takes a puff. She pours herself a drink. And then I think it's Karen that's sitting next to her. I think it's Karen, if I remember correctly. You, you don't notice this, like, the first viewing, but as on subsequent see she tries to pour, like, water into her, her glass to kind of, like, distill it, and she, like, pushes her hand away and just drinks it raw, right? And it's just, like, holy crap, like, she doesn't want to be there, but why doesn't she want to be there? Like, usually with these award ceremonies, like, you're happy for the person being honored and whatnot, but, like, she doesn't want to be there. Why? Why does not she want to be there? So then you're already, like, by the time the flashback even starts, you're already like, okay, this, I, how is this going to happen? How, how, do we, how do we get here? And just so it's just by the way the scene is blocked and framed by Mankiewicz, like, and by, you know, just the the, the actors' facial expressions, their body language, like, you're already like, you're ready for it. Like, it's already primed you. And now, like, you get to see how this all came about, which I think is just brilliant. This part of the brilliance of this film.
1: Yeah and uh, I know the moment you're talking about and I think it's actually Bill that tries to pour the water and it's she Bill. like okay. she she has this great little hand motion where she like it's with the back of her hand she like pushes it away and then like flicks her hand away like no <laughs> like she gives him this look like no. <laughs> it's a great moment. You're right. That's a fantastic moment. And again, one of those moments you only like catch it like after seeing it so many times. But yeah, you're yeah. absolutely right. Um the actually what's funny is that out of all of them, Karen is like the most composed. Like she's the one that like if you look at her, she doesn't like betray anything. She just looks very um what's the word I'm looking for? It looks very composed, very uh not professional, but um uh, uh you know, um civil. She looks very civil, like. Right. Whereas, like you said, Betty or sorry, Margot not at all hiding her contempt. Bill looks bored, he's like playing with paper or something and like ripping it apart. Like uh Lloyd looks kind of embarrassed to be even be there, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um but you're right. And then and then Addison's just kinda of looking at everybody like studying them. Um and there's another thing I want to talk about, like, and I was, because I watched this again with my wife the other night. Um uh we had like a uh uh rarely do we get to watch movies together, um, but you know, we actually got sent the kids out to uh to the to the grandparents, um so we could celebrate our uh anniversary night the other night. And yeah. uh our, our our movie of dinner and movie is watching this I uh, was watching All About Eve, and one thing I was noticing the other night, and I told her I was like, you know, it's a disgusting habit, but man, does smoking look cool in this movie because it just, <laughs> it just looks so like. Though it I don't bad like. Bad. First of all, smoking in black and white always looks good, but the way like just if you just watch like anytime Addison the way is like putting the the cigarette in his like little cigarette holder, you know, uh, it just the way the the smoke just billows out like the way they shot that it just looks. So elegant, you know what I yeah. mean. Even though, no, even though you know it's gross as hell and it's disgusting, it's still one of those things like, man, that just looks cool. They don't know <laughs> that yet, so. <laughs> you know. But yeah, that those are good. Those are good. That's a good point you made about the uh, about the different uh, shots of the, all the different people. And the other thing to add to that is um, whenever they announce Eve uh, as, as receiving the Sarah Siddons Award. Um, Everyone gets up in like a standing ovation and then you cut to like cut to Karen and cut to Margo and they're just sitting there and they're mm-hmm. like not reacting at all. <laughs> exactly. But then
0: we're gonna kind of juxtapose this whole vibe to the next scene. I'll let you like kinda of finish describing it and everything, and then I'll get into like why I love that scene probably equally as much as this as this intro here.
1: All right. So so we 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 go like I said we go from this where she's like uh this, dressed in this very glamorous gown to the to the next scene where she's like in this trench coat and floppy hat and stuff and uh she tells, you know, Karen realizes she's seen her like every night and then she she asks like w- you've been here every single night and then, you know, uh Eve kind of lets quote unquote lets it slip uh that she just is, you know, so enamored with Margot and she's like her biggest fan that she knows she, she she touches her soul anytime she performs all that kind of stuff so of course karen being the nice person that she is decides that you know you should come in and meet Margot. you should like let's give the kid a break let's let's have her meet her hero and bring her backstage
0: exactly so um you know so again you know we go from that scene to when Karen first meets Eve and like again like you you you're thinking nothing of this. Like, oh you know it's you know you get to know Eve a little bit. Uh you know she's a big fan of Margot Channing. You know, she's seen every performance of the play uh which I believe is called something like Aged Aged in Wood or Aged something. Aged in it's, Wood. It's,
1: Aged in Wood. Yeah.
0: yeah it's it's a it's a wacky name. But uh <laughs> um so like Karen kind of takes pity on her, like, oh, you know, you've been, she's been coming to all these shows, you know, she's such a big fan, you know, why don't I take her in to to meet Margot? Um, so that happens, and I'll let you take over for the next scene because after that is what I really want to kind of dissect. It's this whole like, you know, when Margot meets, Eve.
1: right? And and then before I get to that, I should also mention that I, I I don't want to make it seem like Karen is the one who notices her and brings her in. Eve actually does kind of say uh Mrs. uh what is her name? Richards, Mrs. Miss Richards, Richards. Yeah. and gets her attention and then that's whenever Karen's like, Oh, you're the girl who's been here every night. Um, so this is like the first part of her the first step in her plan. Like Eve has clearly already been like, All right, I've 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 planted my seed, now it's time to actually take action and, and see if I can get in the door here. And clearly she does. So she um Karen brings her in, and then she, you know, after kind of walking around backstage a little bit, and you see Eve kind of looking at the props and the and the stage and the back and what it looks like to be on the stage, looking out into the into the empty seats and things like that. Um, you see, uh, you know, Karen tells her, "You know, wait out here," as she goes into the uh, uh, not the locker room, the dressing room uh, where um, Margot is kind of decompressing after the night and has her, you know, she's she's got her. Uh, her uh costume off but her hair is still kind of like put up you know in like that gimmick that is gonna go under a wig you know yeah. um and so now they're like she, she's getting her her body she's getting ready for like not being you know on stage anymore
0: yeah and then uh i know karen's like telling you know i brought in a fan you know she just wants to meet you They would just make her her it would make her day or make her night if you know, you just see her for a couple minutes, you know, and Margot, he's just kind of dismissive about it at first, you know, like, she's just, she's trying to just decompress out of, like, you know, her, you know, her stage mode, basically, and, you know, I think I think they mentioned that Bill's has to, like, she's taking Bill to the airport or whatever at that point, I don't remember, but, um, you know, basically, she's just dismissive of, like, you know, Karen bringing home, like, one of the strays, I think she called, it, like, from the street or whatever, but, you know but we just kind of get this sense of like you know of Margot is like just kind of being like full of herself and want at, at first um and you know she kind of just wants to just dismiss eve at that point
1: right and um and, and you get a kind of a and before that you get a little bit of an introduction to some of the people there cuz lloyd's already in there which is why karen's going back there uh and then we also get uh, uh wh- what is her name in the film uh thumb Ritter's character i forget that, her name uh, in the film Birdie. Uh, Birdie, thank you. Uh, who? who Ber- Thelma Ritter is always like an like a like an MVP. Like I think the oh, only course. other movie we we talked about on this podcast with her in it was Rear Window. Rear Window. Uh, she was awesome in that movie. Um, but and she's like really only in half of this movie. There's a point where she kind of disappears for the rest of the film, which is a shame because like from what I from what I was reading, like she was actually in it a little bit more, uh, and, and there was a little bit more of a subplot with her being way more suspicious of Eve uh, than everybody else throughout the film. And you you still get that, but apparently there was more of that in, like, a subplot. But it was kind of next to, like, make make the audience feel a little more uh, unsure of whether Eve was really manipulative or not. Whereas before, in the, the way it was written before, it was a little more obvious ahead of time. So that's kind of why her part was apparently... Kind of written down, which is a shame. But she she's good for the the, the time that she's in. Um, but yeah, like you said, uh, after Karen kind of pleads with her, like uh, Margot tries to like get her to k- get uh, Burry to kick her out, but you know Karen does plead her case and uh, she she gets her to come in.
0: Right, and then basically at that point, like they just it's basically ex- well, quote unquote exposition at this point because you know they. She, you know, Eve comes in, you know, all humble and everything, you know, I'm such a huge fan, you know, and then they kind of get to know Eve a little bit. They ask me, like, you know, about her past and whatnot. So she goes into the story about how, you know, her husband or boyfriend or whatever, quote unquote, died in the war. She it, was her, it, was her, it was
1: her quote unquote husband.
0: Yes, quote unquote husband, right? So then, you know, she had this little job at a beer factory and then, you know, she move to the city or whatnot, you know, and then I think, I think that's what she mentions that like she saw like Margot in in a plane San Francisco and that's how she came to know her and whatnot. So she tells essentially what's this sob story and she wins everybody over in the room, right? Like they go from kind of passively, you know, dismissing her and whatnot as just a fan to like, oh, wow, you know, that's such a, you know, what a story, what what a journey you've had and whatnot. And then, and here's my thing, right? So, not only does you know within the kayfabe world of the film does she went over like everybody in the room like Karen, you know Lloyd. I think Bill's already there. I'm not. I think Bill's already there. Um,
1: um when she starts telling the story. Yeah. Was Bill already there? Or did he show up after? Okay, that I can He remember. shows up in the middle. Like he's not there initially, but I don't remember if she starts telling her story when he's there or not.
0: Well, as far as like even like with Margot, Margot, Karen, Lloyd. They get won over by that story, right? And, but here's the, the, the brilliance about it. So does the audience. Because already in the beginning, you're suspecting, like, okay, something's going wrong here, right? So, like, did Eve do something? Like, like, something must have caused, like, this kind of tension. Just that opening scene, right? But then you come to this scene, and kind of Eve pours her heart out to them, and she talks about her past. And not only is she winning over the character, she's winning over you, the viewer, because now you don't suspect a thing like, oh, poor Eve, you know, this is so sad, you know. And you, in a way, like, if it's your first time viewing, you, you kind of even start to suspect, maybe like Margot did, like Margot's the evil one, right? You don't suspect the thing, which is, again, like the brilliance of the writing and just have the way everything's structured is that, you know, with this scene here, Eve turns into the hero in the audience's eyes at this point because you don't know what happens later yet. So I think the way that this one kind of hides the intentions of what's to come is again another part of the brilliance of
1: this film. Yeah, and and um, another thing I think she mentions is that she's from Wisconsin, which is like such a, you know, middle America thing, like to make her yeah. seem so <laughs> so down home country, which may or may not be true. I can't remember by the time it's a, a, a it's like revealed, all the truth is revealed at the end, and whether, whether that's true or not. Um, but regardless, what's what's great about that, and but, but the point you just made is. I went into the movie blind. Even the movie was like, by the time I saw it, 50, almost 60 years old. Like, I still had never actually um, really knew anything about it at all. I just knew it was a great movie, and that was it. So whenever I came into it uh, completely blind, you're right, I saw those people like, you know, all these characters like, dismissing her at the beginning during that uh, awards ceremony, and then here she's like saying... Um, you know, giving the sob story. So you're so like I remember thinking like not knowing what the deal was. Like I don't know if I was necessarily thinking, well, these other people are the bad guys, but it was more like okay, something is going on because at the, at the beginning of the film they don't like her, but now they do like her and she's kind of winning him over. So what's going to happen here? What is I, It actually did set up that kind of like frame of re, frame of mind where I was like. What's going on here? Cause, so thankfully that was none of that was ruined for me. So
0: exactly, which again, like I I would love the scene so much because it doesn't even give you a hint that there's like some foul play right afoot. Like everything just seems like on its face, like it just you, you cut you believe the face value of it all, right? So like you don't you don't have any suspicion of what's to come.
1: You know, uh, I think that. Um... Bill does come in after the story because he kind of barges it. It's kind of like, I think it like breaks the tension, right? Like oh, he, okay. Cause like, then he like barges in and it's like, Hey, we're going to miss the plane or whatever. Uh, and then Karen has to like, be like, Hey, this is Eve. And he's like, all right. Hey. And then like two <laughs> seconds later, he's yeah. like, who are you? <laughs> and he comes off like such a jerk. Right? right, but, like later on, like he's the one that probably looks like one of the best in the film, right, yeah. like he he looks really good by the end of the film, but in the beginning, he's "It's like, like, look at this asshole, <laughs> you know what <laughs> I mean, he, he completely dismisses this 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 woman just sitting here, yeah. um but yeah, so she uh so so you know bill comes, yeah, this is why because bill comes in uh saying he has to go to the airport, blah, blah blah, and then basically, Eve kind of worms her way into like saying. Well, I can help you at the airport, you know, and uh, uh, I can help you guys get to the airport and take your luggage or whatever like that. So I th- that's why I think it happened after her story, because um, cause I don't think there was a spot for her to say it if you if Bill was in such a hurry.
0: Yeah, you're probably right on that front, yeah.
1: I mean, I've seen that so many times, but like those little details, you never know, like you can't always keep straight. But I'm pretty sure because Bill was in such a hurry, she doesn't tell the story after that. Right. Um, so then we cut to, uh, and, and then what, th- then Bill, like guess well, Margot's taking a shower or, or, or something, uh, he's just kind of like, does this whole diatribe about the theater and how he's kind of, how he's kind of sick of the theater and, and now he's going to go out to Hollywood, Hollywood. Like, to yep. be a director in Hollywood and things like that. And, and she kind of gives him like a, she kind of argues, she kind of pushes back a little bit about how like theater is a little bit more. Prestigious, you know what I mean, but.
0: And, and I also love too that she kind of like throws in like a little a little bit of to Lloyd, like all oh, like I'm a fan of your work as well, like I followed your last play or whatever she said to him, you know, to kind of like, kind of hook him in as well.
1: Right, yeah, exactly. And then that comes that happen that comes into play a little bit more later in the film. Yeah. Um so then uh we get uh let's see here get my notes here then we then they're at the airport, i believe uh and that's where- you know eve is with them, and he kind of uh he kind of basically says um you know hey she kind of says like hey, why don't you um I'll take care of your 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 baggage while you go say goodbye to while you say goodbye to bill."
0: Right, and then like they kind of have their alone time together. Like he says, they're saying goodbye to each other, and she kind of
1: barges in too. Like, oh, she totally cockblocks Bill yeah. because like they're about to kiss, and like, and and she goes, "You're already." <laughs> you know I mean, and you gotta love, you gotta love 1950s uh, New York um, uh, airport uh, airport security. <laughs> like he just walks in like just ten just minutes, before, yeah, right. ten minutes before the, the plane leaves, just walks right in. <laughs> Oh, what a world. I know. But yeah, you got just a little bit of backstory about how this is, what's important about this scene is that you get um, not only the exposition of Bill's going to Hollywood, but you start seeing Margot's insecurity and that her insecurity is what drives the rest of the film. Uh, how she thinks she's gonna like fall in love with some young Hollywood bimbo or whatever, you know, right. <laughs> and like and leave her because she's very insecure about her age, uh, and how you know he's a he's a younger man than she is, and how she's gonna, you know, he'd be surrounded by all this temptation and things like that. And um, it's interesting because um, he clearly in the entire film it only has eyes for Margot. Like he treats Eve nice initially. But there's never any, like, even despite, like, later on in the party scene, despite her kind of jealousy, I don't feel like there's any, like, outward flirting uh, from Bill to, to, to Eve, right? Um, where And even there are times where, like, so when he kisses her, or he's about to kiss her, um, and Eve kind of barges in, like, he kind of looks at her with a little bit of contempt, you know? So, like, he clearly isn't even, like, thinking about Eve, right? Right. But Bargo is still like has that kind of she has that insecurity and she always and she and that's what drives her through the rest of the film.
0: Right. I mean, it, it comes to the head at the dinner party, which uh, amazing sequence. But we're going to get to that soon. But yet, it, like you said, it's an underpinned theme, like going forward that we have to remember.
1: Right. Um, so we fast forward to like some undetermined, uh, undetermined time later, I think they said like three months or something like that, where Eve is now her assistant uh, in, in, in Margot's home. And you see a little bit of the kind of conflict with her and Bertie. Like, you know, you see, um, even though Bertie's kind of like, already kind of had that role, but she was more of like a, a maid and like a valet, you know, but she still t- took care of some of the other stuff, like there's a scene where, like, I think like the phone rings and Eve gets it instead of uh, instead of Birdie, and Birdie right. kind of gives her this look, you know. Um, but uh, she's clearly like starting to take over like the more administrative things of of uh, of Margot's life.
0: Yeah, I think even I think Margot mentions in the voiceover that this is like the honeymoon phase, like everything is just going great. You know, she was her secretary, she was like answering her fan mail, like she was like you know, doing her errands and everything like, like everything was going great at this point.
1: And then there's a scene and I I wrote it down in my notes, which I, which I, I I think I just noticed for the first time tonight or uh, on this, on this uh, preparation of this viewing is, um, you cut to like a scene of of uh like the end of a, one of the performances right, and um you see that you know Margot and the cast are doing like the final bow at the end of the night, and then she gets her like you know final bow by herself and Eve is just like standing by in like the how do you call it the wings of the of the stage or whatever yeah. she's, like, she's right off stage watching right um and she's looking. And she's got like a tear in her eye, and she's like mesmerized, so like on first viewing, you just take that as like oh, she just she just loves this performance so much, and she loves margot and but really, like she's not looking at her like that, she's looking at her like that's what I want, and I'm so close to it, yeah. I'm so close to what I want, I'm gonna have it soon, and I'm gonna take this and then like she has this mesmerized look on her face, and the it cha- the 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 context from when you see it changes that look, you know?
0: Exactly. On subsequent viewings, like you, you see what the real intention is, but on first viewing, you know, because you trust... Because Anne backs such a good job at portraying Eve as, like, this person, this trustworthy person, like, you kind of take that as face value, which is the wrong way to take it as you find out later.
1: Exactly. Um, and, uh, she's also, you know, I think this is where um... This is where she, uh, they, they have a little bit of a conversation and then, uh, uh, Eve says like, oh, I'll take your, uh, I'll take your dress back to the, uh, to the costume department or something like that. Um, and, and really, you know, trying to sound like she's being altruistic, but then Bertie reminds uh, Margo, like, hey, uh, that's a union job. She, hey, that's a union job. Yep. So when, when Margo goes to stop her, she finds her outside on the stage having the, uh, Pretending the dress is on her and like taking a bow to the audience. Yep.
0: Yeah, the the which again that's already that already starts playing the seed of doubt in Margot as well. She sees that. I mean, you you could easily like in the moment dismiss that as just like, you know, a fan being a fan, but then like some you can tell in, in, in Margot's face that something's starting to click. Like it's 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 not the, the seed that's gonna sprout like the you know, the main doubt about her, but it's something like the the nest has been laid out basically at that point, like so, like something already like she has that face like okay there's something not something wrong with her but like there's something about this that I should be worrying about like but it's not enough to really like trigger her complete doubt until later when um, Bill calls her right about about her about his birthday which we're gonna get to in a little bit but
1: uh, I think it's actually the next scene yeah um, but before we get there so. This is how, like, my frame of reference worked, right? So, like I said, I saw this movie in, like, the 2000s, uh, whenever I got, after I got my Netflix subscription, right, and I was starting to watch all these movies. So it was probably in, like, 2005, 2006, something like that. Um, So that's the first time I'd ever seen this, and I had no frame of reference for the film other than I heard it was a great movie. So when I saw this scene, and I saw her, like, having the dress on her and, like, pretending to be on stage and bowing and stuff like that, my first, my first thought was, oh, this is a single white female deal, right? <laughs> like that's what this is. So like now, that's whenever I started. That's when I started to suspect. That's when I, as an audience member, started to suspect Eve as not as not being what she pretended to be, right? But like my frame of reference was this like cheesy 90s movie that was just that. But like that movie's just borrowing elements from this movie. You know what I mean? So, like, to me, I was just like, "Oh, single white female." But, like, really, it's it's just all about Eve. I just didn't know it at the time. Right. Um, but yeah, so the next scene, I believe, is whenever she, uh, uh Margot's woken up in the middle of the night, and she's and then bills on the phone, and you know, she well, she's woken up by an operator saying, "You're, you're called to Beverly Hills, ready?" And she's like, "What?" And you know Bill's on the phone, and she and he's like so happy to hear from her, and then she realizes, oh right, it's your birthday, happy birthday, blah blah blah. But like she's so confused because she knows because first of all she forgot, yeah. but she but but then she's like, how did that call go through? And then she realizes, oh Eve must have done it. And so you know the the time before, like when you said she saw her like with the dress, that started to get the wheel spinning. But this is when she's like, all right, that's. That's weird. I don't like this at all. That she just did that. That's overstepping her boundaries.
0: Exactly. Like, you know, because, I mean, something like that, you at least ask the person first, like, yo, listen, I'm going to put this call in for you for X amount of, you know, time because it's Bill's birthday. Like, if she had told her ahead of time, the fact that she kind of just was caught blindsided by it, you know, that's what's like, okay, like, this, something weird's going on here. This is not right.
1: Yeah. It's, um, some so so let's think about this then, because I think in the in that call he talks about how he's like almost done with the movie, so it has to be a couple months then he's been working on it then right, right. so then it has to have been a few months that Eve's been with him with her. right okay because he like he says he's like gonna come back in like a couple days or something like that because uh, that's when they have the party because um, it's his birthday party that like even though this is his birthday they had the party that they have is like his birthday party. yeah um and then the next morning um she's got a uh <laughs> this is a great line right um uh birdie comes in with like her her breakfast in bed or something uh and she's like what do you think about eve <laughs> and birdie has this great line do you want an answer or do you want an argument? (laughs) (laughs) That's right.
0: And delivered in a way only Thelma Ritter could deliver it. Yeah, and she's
1: like, do you like her? And she's like, no. I was like, why not? And she's like, well, now you want an argument. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so then... um, so then Eve comes in uh, and I think she has like even like a suit, like one of Margot's old suits and stuff. And like she kind of says like something about, oh, it just needs some taking in or something like that, which is I thought it was a little bit of like a dig, right? Like, uh, oh, it doesn't fit you anymore because you're a little bit heavier, but I could wear it. And all I needed was just a little bit, it just needed to be a little bit taken in. So it was too big and now it fits, you know, it just felt yeah, like yeah. that was a subtle little like a little dig at her.
0: Which again you don't catch that the first time. Like it's yeah. afterwards that you're like, Oh wait a minute, I wonder if she's is she trying to insult her a little bit here?
1: Yeah. Um and then of course is the next thing we get is the uh the inf- the the very fa- like a big chunk of the movie happens here. Like the, the big party scene. Like a good maybe fifteen, twenty minutes of the movie happens at this party. Um and so we, we start and she's uh Margot's getting ready for Bill's party Putting on this dress, uh, drinking. She's already drinking a martini, right? She's already drinking. Um, and she's putting on this, this dress, and she's like wondering, where's Bill? He should be here. He's late. Uh, and then uh, that's when uh, Thelmritter explains to him, oh, no, he's been here for a while. She's like, well, then why hasn't he come to see me? He's like, and she just gives him this look. She gives her this look and she realizes, "Oh." And then then Margot just downs the entire martini. So like um you know, here's the thing, here's one thing I want to say about um about uh, uh Betty Davis's performance here. I think as the night goes on, she does drunk very well. Like it's not it's not like comical, right? Right. It's it's believable for, like, someone who's, like, in this mood to, like, get this drunk, but not, like, be... Like, she's clearly hammered by the end of the night, but she's still completely uh understandable like you understand everything she's saying but because it's hollywood right her her hair is still perfect you know exactly I mean? like dignified hammered, basically <laughs> you know but before but what i like but the other good th- little bit of acting that she does here is right she like once once she realizes, oh he's been talking to eve these last 20 minutes or whatever she like walks out the door where birdie where birdie's still in the she walks out there very calmly and closes the door very calmly and then runs downstairs because she, like, wants to, like, catch them in whatever she suspects of doing. And then this is where, like, her claws come out. Like, this is when like, Bill's here and he's, like, happy to see her. You know, she she catches you know, she quote-unquote catches him like, talking to Eve, like, in a you know, not even in a flirty way, just like, being very kind of, you know, Graceful, uh, gracious, and like, and she's laughing at his stories or whatever. So she's, she, I feel like she's flirting with him, but not the opposite. Um, and then Eve kind of comes in, uh, or sorry, Margot comes in, and she's clearly already kind of pissed off. Like, she's already got this, she's got the bug up her ass that Eve is kind of manipulating things, and now she's got the insecurity of her being an older actress, and this young little thing is now kind of, she feels like warming her way into the relationship. And yeah, now it's now it's turning to <laughs> now it's starting to be a, an issue.
0: Yeah, like there's some there's some really uh, great acting here, some really great dialogue, um, especially when she's trying like she sent Eve away. And then she tries to, she has the argument with Bill, like, you know, oh, you know, what are you seeing her? Are you trying to do anything? You know, he's trying to tell like, you know, only have eyes for you. I only think about you like you need to stop, like being so down on yourself. Like it's, it's a really good uh, back and forth between the two, like really good acting here.
1: Yeah, it transitions
0: really into like you know the rest of the party, which other stuff happens, which we'll get into in a little bit. But like just, just uh, that this conversation already here, you know, so just you know, great stuff.
1: And this is like, I mean, this whole party sequence, this is all Betty Davis. I mean, like people are bouncing off of her. Like she, like if you just look at the lines of dialogue that she like spits out during this entire thing, it's like whole monologues of like. Of anger and venom and insecurity, and she she just delivers it flawlessly. Like she's so good in these in these scenes. Um, and at bro, the beginning, real quick, bro, I have to mention like when um when uh she's
0: when Eve Eve gets sent away, but of course before she goes, she has to like be all this altruistic, you know, and like oh, do you want me to get anybody anything? Do you want want a drink? You know, so Margot tells you know, I'll take a martini dry, right. So then Bill's like, you know what, I'll get it, right? So then he you remember the part where he asked Eve like, you know, what do you have? Oh, yeah, and then Marvin like, goes, A milkshake? A milkshake.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's <was> great. <laughs> it's such a perfectly delivered. You're like too. what
0: a bitchy line there. Like,
1: that's amazing. Uh and but like the whole like the whole argument she has with Bill, right? Where she where he's basically saying, like, he's not having any of it. He's like, You're being a paranoid, you know, even though she's right. She is right here. But like in his mind, he hasn't seen any evidence of that. Like so, she's so he to her, uh, to him, she's being paranoid, and she's like, "No, I'm right. I know this is weird." And like, there's the way they're arguing, like the way it's blocked. Um, even though it's dramatic, even though it's a little bit mel- <laughs> melodramatic, uh, it's it feels real, right? Because like, there's one point where like she's she's. So mad, and he's like standing in front of her, and she tries to like walk past him, but he like blocks her. She tries to walk past another way, and he like blocks her. And it just reminds me of like actual fights I've had with like significant others, where I'm like, where where me as the man trying to like block the way. I'm like, no, no, no hold on, you know, stay back here, you know. And and she's just really, the way they're arguing is really, really good. Um <laughs> That's right, It's bro. a really great sequence there.
0: Outside of a beehive, Margot, your behavior will not be considered either queenly or motherly, bro. What
1: a great line! There's so many great lines here. Um. Uh. And the um. Uh. So then we get you know, some of the other guests arrive. You know, Karen and and uh, the producer Max Fabian and Lloyd are all arrive. Uh. And then Karen notices right away because Karen is her best friend. She notices right away. All right, what's going on? She's and she's because she basically says something along the lines of, uh, "Are we? Is this beginning or is it ending? <laughs> something <right>. like that." <laughs> I forget how the line goes, but it's this, it's basically the setup to the "Fasten Your Seatbelt" right uh, line. Yeah. Um, uh, ah man, I wish I could remember how it goes, but it's it's basically like, um, "Is this about to start or is it just ending?" And then that's whenever she kind of goes up and goes. uh uh, fasten your seatbelts, it's going to be a bumpy night. Um, and one of those one of those misquoted lines uh, of all time. Um, it's up there with played against them. I, I see a lot of people go, buckle up, it's going to be a bumpy night. It's like, no, It's fasten your seatbelts, seat it's going to be a bumpy night. And it's such a, like, I wonder if they knew when they wrote it, it was going to be like, this is, like, how do I put it? Like, so, you know, when you watch... The Terminator, for example, and you, the oddly back line was not... It, it doesn't seem like it's meant to... Like, when you watch it in, in context, it doesn't seem like it was meant to be this really, like, powerful, memorable line. But it just becomes right. one, right? Um. So, but this seems like it was written to be a moment. You know, the fasten your seatbelt's going to be a bumpy night. It seems like it was written to be a moment. But I wonder if it was written that way or if it was just another line in a, in a script of great lines
0: you know that's a good question like i i I mean i can't really answer that (laughs) but you know you don't really know the the significance of that line though until you like you go through the whole not just the whole scene but the whole movie like you kind of see like you know this is kind of like you know i mean the whole movie to this point has been kind of building to like this moment like where it seems like everything is starting like like it's like the roller coaster like it's going up the hill at this point right um and then like later on it's, like when you when you go when it goes down, but like at this point, like it's been like little build up, little build up here to like to get to here. And you know, this whole sequence with the dinner party and what happens here is kinda of like the roller coaster like going all the way up to the top at this point. Like we're about to hit the peak, right? So right. I don't know if it again, I don't know if it was meant to be that way, but it's sure it's kinda of taken on that life, you know, since then.
1: Right um and it's a great line and we'll we'll come back to that line a little later but um the uh after after she delivers the line uh we get uh, more guests arrive including Addison and uh and his young uh Miss Caldwell who, or Caswell, Caswell or Caldwell? I think it's Caswell. Uh, Miss Caswell, who's played by yes. uh, the very young uh, Marilyn Monroe. Now, this is not her first movie, uh, but this is one of her early, early roles. And you can tell it's uh, one of her earlier roles, not only by the date of the film, but it's because she's a lot skinnier here than she is in other films. Not that she was fat by any means later films, but she was a little more curvy, I guess you <laughs> would say, in, in other, in, in future films, like uh, where she's very skinny here. Um, Again, not body shaming. I'm just saying this discrepancy. Um, the uh, and basically, basically, she's she's kind of uh, this is a new uh, a new person that Addison thinks might be somebody, even though he said he discovered her at the Copacabana School of Acting, which I think is a funny line. Uh, and uh, he's basically trying to get her to. Flirt her way into a uh, audition with uh with the producer, uh, right? That's why that's why he's kind of brought her to the party.
0: Yeah, and then you know a lot of things are happening here behind the scenes as well. As far I mean, in kayfabe terms, right? Like I think this is where like Margot's trying to get like Max Fabian to get Eva a job at his office and whatnot, and. You know, like you said, like Addison is trying to get Miss Caswell, like to kind of, like you said, like kind of just smooth talk her way into an audition with Max as well. And, you know, there's little things happening here. Um, and then it kind of gets blown off a little bit, like in that last part of the party where, like, they're all sitting by the stairs and just talking. And, you know, like, Margot comes in already, like, she's, at this point, she's like peak drunk, right? Even though, like you said, her hair still looks perfect. And, like, we, we kind of have that scene in a moment. But, uh, but, you know, like I said, there's just little things happening here that are going to get paid
1: off soon. Right. And I think from, like, the time this scene starts to, like, the time it ends, before, like, you cut to, like, later, when she, like, when there's, like, a time cut, like, when she's sitting by the piano, you know, there's, like, probably, she's probably had three drinks, like, three martinis, like, full martinis, right. plus the one she had in her bedroom. Um, so, um so she's yeah, you're right she she's she's already kind of she's already getting there, you know, um, but what's interesting though is then addison, after he kind of uh shoes miss miss caswell away he he sees eve and he like he already knows about her um and he knows about her presence and like now he's like trying to like go off and like kind of manipulate... like i don't want to say to do then it's not sexual but like uh, m- seduce her to the dark side more so to speak even like because because you know that's what he's up to right Uh, um afterwards we cut to the scene where she's kind of next to the piano clearly hammered and she's feeling sorry for herself like the party seems really lame because there's this piano player playing like very somber music and she's basically saying i i want this you know i wanted to i don't i want this music and the bill comes over he's like hey uh, the uh, <laughs> the other party attendants want to see want to know if we can view the body, <laughs> uh, which is a funny <laughs> line. Uh, but even then, he's still like not like letting her. He's like not. What I like about the Bill character is that he's not putting up with her shit. Like he's just kind of going, "All right, let's just let's uh let's settle down. Let's let's try to get some livelier music here for the guests,
0: right? And I think what's also happening here too. So I'm, I mean. Correct me if I'm wrong, like, I think even Lloyd is trying to reassure Margot at this point. Like, I think they're in the kitchen or whatnot, and he's talking about, like, the new play. Like, you know, well, don't worry. Like, I have you pegged for the lead and everything, because he's starting to get paranoid about that, too. Like, he's he's going to look for somebody younger, probably. But he's telling you, know what? Like, right now, like, I, you're the only person I have in mind for the lead. Like, they're talking about, like, his new play and whatnot. So that's also kind of adding to, the, like, the drama a little bit, right? Like, you know, she's getting paranoid about that, too.
1: Yeah, and let's let's face it lloyd is the worst <laughs> you know what i mean like like he's like saying he's giving this all this uh uh lip service to uh to to margo about you're ageless you're the only person i thought of in my play right and then later whenever um eve is, uh, auditions for understudy he's like so excited about oh it's going to be so wonderful having someone age appropriate for my play. He's (laughs) like, you're the worst dude. (laughs) Like what? You're such a douchebag. Um, and I forget where, so she's, again, she brings up her age a lot. You know, this is a conversation I had with my wife when we were watching it. Like, it's interesting because in the film, she's supposed to be 40 and I looked it up. Uh, and she was, she was about 42 when she played that role. So uh, pretty, pretty, pretty close. Right. Um, Does it, like, is it, what is it about, like, older generations where, like, age looks different at, so, like, 40 looks different in 1950 than it does now, right? Right. Like, I'm almost 40, right? Um, And, like, I know other people that are 40, and they don't look as old as Betty Davis did here. Like, Betty Davis looks like 50 here, right? And it's, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, again, I'm not shaming anything. Like, she, like, she doesn't, um... That's what I'm looking for it's, You can Age shouldn't really matter In a lot of situations But I'm just saying What is it about Older generations That like Like when they turned Like a certain age They looked older Than when our generation Turns a certain age You know I like, thought About that,
0: that too it's, it's weird I don't know if it's A generational thing Or just like Out of perspective Like And, and you know It seems like You know with every passing generation Like this age Is now the new this age So I think that has A lot to do with it Like mentally and perspective wise as well i think i feel like maybe that's the main culprit i can i don't know for sure but i maybe i think i'm just only speaking about me personally cuz you know everybody's saying like you know uh 40s a new 30 50s a new 40 right these days right like every generation like the older age is the new younger age right yeah so maybe that's has to do something to do with it as well
1: i don't know maybe it's i don't know maybe like things are healthier for us maybe food is healthier or medicine's better i don't know it just seems like it just seems she doesn't look 40 in the movie like to me like in my eyes she looks older than 40 but like when i looked it up she was 42 so she looked yeah. like like what she was supposed to she look was like. age appropriate right? yeah it's just i don't know i don't get it i don't get it um anyway uh so again that that be, that she has a great line about how you know bill is 32 eight years ago he looked 32 eight years from now he's gonna look 32 i hate men that's a great line, by the way. Yes. <laughs> it's a it's a great line. Um, so you're right. Uh, after you know, during this party, uh, who is it that's trying to get Eve the the job at Max's? Is uh, it Bill? I, I or... believe... Yeah, I trying think to it was
0: Margot. That was trying, Yeah, Margot's trying to get her a job.
1: Okay. Yeah, and then trying, basically trying to get her out. Right. Yeah. But then Margot has her own plans because then, like, in a kind of. Uh, Girl to girl talk with Karen. She's she's uh she kind of sees if she can convince uh <clears throat> she can convince uh uh be, basically Max and and Lloyd to get her on audition to uh, uh audition as a, a Margot's understudy. That's what I'm trying to say. Right. Um, so and again, all of this unbeknownst to Margot. Exactly. Like. <laughs> So, you see,
0: like, again, a lot of stuff happening. Like, you know, Margot's paranoid about, you know, Lloyd casting her in a new play. You know, Margot's trying to get rid of Eve, so she asked Max to get her a job, like, in his office, like a secretary or something. And then in the meantime, you know, Eve and Karen kind of plot in to get an audition as Margot's understudy. So, you see, all these things are kind of happening behind everybody else's backs. And it kind of crescendos later on into, like, it, it gets paid off later, is basically what I'm trying to say.
1: Yeah. Um, and then after that, we get another kind of blow up with with Eve and everybody, and then she, uh, everyone starts basically leaving the party, and she kind of just goes upstairs, to, drunk drunk out of her mind. Um, and even if they were gonna tell her at this point, she probably not a uh, wouldn't have remembered it considering how drunk she is.
0: And uh, and you know Marilyn Monroe as Miss Caswell comes off very ditzy, I, you know, which I guess it was the. Uh intention of the of the character but isn't it funny that like she gets kind of get she kind of got typecast a little bit as like a, a ditzy blonde you know subsequently but i don't know but i mean they, she has some great stuff as well but like it doesn't it seem like she got typecast in that a little bit
1: oh i totally think so i mean but i mean that's kind of that was kind of the story of her career right but i mean hey it was she made a lot of money doing that so you,
0: know, you know. can't argue with that yeah
1: um so the next uh next morning next day or whenever it is uh we see Margot show up for a, um for the audition where she's gonna read she was supposed to be there to read with the with miss caswell who's gonna who's actually auditioning to be her understudy um but when she gets there addison is already in the uh in the lobby uh and and basically hes like oh he basically informs her that miss caswell is is violently you ill know, with something wrong with her tummy in the bathroom I don't know if they which which if, they, if they're saying she's vomiting or, or or having diarrhea but either one pro- probably not uh, all that glamorous um but uh, basically Addison spills the beans to her that um uh, miss- while miss caswell is auditioning to be the understudy uh really eve who was uh, was uh blew everybody away by reading the 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 lines as well and uh now she she basically got the part and margo is not super pleased
0: yeah i think at that point she kind of comes barging into the uh to the you know the the stage you know she's like you know and i forgot what she says but she kind of just makes this whole big scene about how like you know uh, like, her paranoia is correct. Like, she's trying to get – she's getting phased out for, the you know, the younger per, a, actress and whatnot. And of course, like, Bill and Lloyd are there trying to say, like, you're crazy, you know. But, and they have this, like, this huge fight, which, you know, another another great scene. But, uh, you know, it, it's kind
1: of like now we're – like, the snowball is rolling as to, like, you know, where we're headed with this. But what's great is that she uh, comes in knowing that it's not Miss Caswell's not there and that the addition already happened but she's pretending she doesn't right so cuz she's trying to catch them like in a lie like so she's putting on this little performance you know oh what it's all over what what's going on and like yeah Eve read with Miss Caswell was like oh how how i don't know what she said but basically oh how cute you know what i mean right. um and then um now now they basically inform her that uh uh she's her new understudy and that's whatever she kind of blows up and actually i think they tell her that she's been her understudy for like a week or something like that so it's <laughs> been so so she really did so they really did keep it from her
0: yeah and uh i think that's when um i think uh she and bill have a have a fight like a, a big fight like on the stage i think he breaks up with her at that point if i'm not
1: mistaken <laughs> That's kind of what i I read from it, but right but, but not before like first of all, Eve disappears max this max says something about oh, this is for lawyers to hang Tenda and he storms off, and then Lloyd has the great line of like like something about how um it's time for the piano to realize it sh- it didn't write the concerto, <laughs> and he storms out um so then like and then bill is just like laying on this bed and on the stage like this like prop bed, and he's like look, man, I don't even want to deal with any of this right now. Like, He's like, clearly just trying to, like, he's he's seen this kind of stuff before. Like, he's clearly like, look, just let's just blow this thing over. Let's just not even deal with this right now. But she's clearly not there for it. Like, she is too pissed off, too worked up, and she is not having any of it. And you're right, like, after, like, this whole big fight... He basically says, like, he basically pins her down to the bed and, like, look, I've told you I love you. I've told you that I'm, you know, loyal to you. You are being ridiculous right now, and I am not going to take this anymore. And you have to either trust me or we're done. And then he he basically just leaves. And so I think it's supposed to be a breakup. Um,
0: Yeah, I think that's what it's meant to be.
1: I think it's supposed to be a breakup. Even though he comes back shortly afterwards, I think it is supposed to be a breakup
0: yeah which i mean you know margo's like devastated and again it's another great scene like just great acting you know just everything about it
1: and what's even better is like that he, what what what's what I like about that right before he like he what she's fighting with like lloyd and he's like and he's he like takes like a cigarette or something he's like he has this look on him. She's like, "Oh, here we go," and he like goes to like plop down on the bed. But he does this little moment where he pats the stuffed dog. <laughs> he plops. I don't know why I find that funny. This is a stuffed dog that's on the stage. He like gives it a little pet and then like plops down on the bed. <laughs> right. <laughs> um. So then we find out that uh, after all this, that they were supposed to, uh, her and Bill and Karen and Lloyd were all supposed to have a uh, like a, a weekend out in the country or something. Um, and so they still go through with it, except Bill doesn't show up, probably because they broke up uh yep. and uh this is where Karen, after kind of thinking that you know Margot needs kind of uh needs a little bit of humility here and needs to kind of get a kick in the pants. She decides that maybe uh she'll kind of sabotage the car so that whenever they're trying to get uh Margot back to the train station to make her performance on like Sunday night that maybe the car will not work, and then she'll miss the train, and then evil will take her place.
0: Yeah, which is uh, pretty devious on Karen's part, you know, and, and it definitely is a betrayal of their friendship.
1: Totally. And you know what? It's funny, you never, uh, Margot never finds out. Like, Margot, by the end, like it, it's, I always expect, like, even though I know the story, even though I've seen it, like, in the back of my mind, I always think she's gonna find out, but she doesn't find out. Like, it never happens. Like, Margot just never finds out that Karen betrayed her.
0: Yeah. Which is interesting. Um,
1: but even but like while they're like sitting in the car, they have this heart to heart where basically again Margot unloads all her insecurities on Karen and how like and then Karen starts to feel bad for 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 uh for double crossing her. Um but of course as as expected, uh Eve goes on in, in uh Margot's place and somehow all these theater critics managed to get wind that this uh, performance has an understudy uh, playing the role. And, um, yeah, they they all show up for uh, Eve's performance, which is supposed to be this magnificent uh, star-making performance.
0: Like, how ironic. Like, all the critics are there for that performance? Like, you know, what's that? Like, (laughs) like so at that point, like, okay, we know something's going on. And then if you were still unsure about Eve's intentions, like, the next scene, I think, will illuminate everything for you.
1: Yeah, we we basically see Eve, uh, excuse me, Eve is now trying to, you you see basically a scene with uh, Bill and Eve in the dressing room, and Bill is, you know, he's best back to saying, hey, good job tonight, Uh, uh, just giving her lots of compliments, and then Eve's Eve basically tries to put the moves on him very explicitly. Like it's no longer like, oh, she's just an innocent girl. She clearly is like being devious and like trying to trying to like you know, get with him. And uh, Bill is not really having any of it. Bill just shows his loyalty and just goes, No, you're 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 very you're you're a great girl, but I'm in love with Margot, so I'm sorry and he just basically walks off and like Eve the first time. That her plan doesn't go exactly as as she imagined gets basically furious,
0: and what she doesn't know was that Addison was spying on that the whole
1: time. Exactly. So that exactly. But so this is where you see her absolute true colors, and then when Addison comes in, she puts on the act again. Yep. Uh, and this is something cool that my that uh, my wife caught when we were watching, is that this is Addison, um, when he comes in with her. He starts asking her questions, like he's clearly trying to catch her in a lie. And then later on, it's revealed that he does catch her in a lie. But uh, it's it's a great. He's, he's talking about the oh, uh, in San Francisco, is that the uh, Schubert Theater? She's like, uh, yeah, the Schubert Theater. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> and not to get ahead of myself, but I just I and then
0: to find out there is no Schubert Theater in San Francisco. But we'll get to that later.
1: <laughs> uh, so now we see. Addison kind of sleezing his way in, like he's now found his like new star that he wants to he wants to help make and, and be his like uh protege or his like muse or or whatever you might want to call it. Like he's now found her and now he's gonna like it's like this match made in hell kind of thing here.
0: Yeah, the new Miss Caswell, basically.
1: Right. Exactly. Um What's the next scene here? I lost my notes. Oh. <clears throat> uh then we find out uh the next in the next scene we see the uh the results of all of this, as Edison has written a review of uh of uh of Eve in in the role, and basically while praising her, he has also kind of trashed Margot and also printed quotes from Eve about Margot that sound very inflammatory.
0: Yeah, this is another great scene. Like, you know, she's kind of like hot after reading the article. And I think what happens is, um I think Karen discovers it first in the paper and she runs to tell Margot right. about it. Right. Like I forget what it is. I, I think it's um wait. I think they're both out to, to lunch or something. Like they, they went out to have lunch together and yeah, then, like, she... she gets the paper.
1: Yeah, well she gets the paper because Addison gives it to her. Yeah. And then and then she's like, Oh, you haven't seen the paper here. And then she like reads it and she's like, Oh and then she runs off and then, and then the next scene they cut to like her uh Margot reading it and just having in a complete meltdown about it. And of course, um And right then Bill the... shows up too they yeah, get and they at that point. Yeah, and Bill sh- like like literally runs up the stairs and like, he's like I came as soon as I heard. Uh yeah. and then um and then basically like sweeps her arms like Bill's here baby, like I was like that's a that's a smooth move right there that's a yeah. that's a that's a manly move you
0: know? yeah. <laughs> definitely
1: um but yeah so this is where we see like you know uh the the loyalty is really strong with them um but then we cut to Karen and um what's his name Lloyd like either. They're eating breakfast or something and then and, and Lloyd's like, Oh, this is a terrible thing, blah blah blah. But, you know, maybe we should uh continue with Eve in the role because, you know, she is actually pretty good and then Karen like flips out at him.
0: You're like, You will not have anything to do with Eve anymore, you will not cast her in your play, and and, and yeah, she she goes off on him. <laughs> like we have we will have nothing more to do with her. <laughs>
1: Um shortly afterwards we see like a uh, a lunch uh with uh Margo and uh Bill where they announce that uh basically Margot's kind of like is she saying she's like retiring but she's like she kind of says she's starting to give it up because she's going to marry Bill uh they're going to get married and then afterwards like she says she's going to finish up like any commitments or whatever but then she's basically done yeah, and then um, she wants
0: I think she wants to start a family she's but... yeah
1: pretty much um, and, uh, during this, you know, t- this happy occasion, um, uh, Karen gets, like, a note to meet, uh, to meet, um uh, Eve in the, uh, in the ladies room, where Eve needs to tell, tell her something, like, woman to woman. And then, uh, afterwards, like, you know, she has no intention of going, but Margot's like, oh, you have to go, I want to know what this is. Did, uh,
0: here's a weird question, that all the Restrooms look as good as they did in the fifties. Like even, did know, even the right? men's room have like a sofa and a little coffee table.
1: There? You know, it's funny. I've been in like so like I don't like certain like hotels or, or or things like that where like there's like this little waiting area, you know, next to like where it's like almost two rooms. Right there's like this room with like a little couch, and then like there's like, like a guy there like to give you towels and things like that. And then there's another room where like all the urinals and toilets are. Yeah. So like. I could I I think it's one of those kind of situations because like I've actually seen those and it's always like I feel like I stepped into like the 1950s I'm like what is this? It's, and it's always somewhere like fancy schmancy or something somewhere yeah. I, like so it's it's never somewhere I I very much belong but <laughs> every time I see it I'm always like thrown I'm like what I just want to pee. Like, I don't know stuff? if it's just culture shock because like, I don't see that anymore but it's like when you know they she's
0: going up to like the bathroom basically and like there's like a little sofa there for them I'm like Okay, I guess the yeah, ladies' I, rooms are better than the men's
1: rooms. I, I've definitely seen it. I think it's this old, old-school, traditional thing. But then again, I haven't spent a lot of time in ladies' rooms, so maybe ladies' oh, rooms now are still like this. You know? but, the, uh, but I've definitely it, seen it, it in men's rooms. It's
0: another, like, out of, out of nowhere tangent, but then, like, in the office, like, the the ladies' room, that had a sofa in it also that Creed was yeah, using? Yeah, they <laughs> had this
1: whole thing where, like, I forget why the women were gone that day, but, like, all the men like went into, into the women's room and they were like, this is so nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Created all oh,
0: amazing. that was when I remember Michael took them to the mall. Cause he wanted to talk to them about
1: breaking up with Jan. So oh, he took all the women to the yeah, mall. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah. Um, so in this little, little heart to heart, Eve starts putting on the manipulation again on Karen, basically saying, "Oh, I didn't mean to say these things. Addison just kind of pulled them out of me, and and now I feel like I've ruined um, all my friendships, and everyone hates me, and I'm so sorry." Blah blah blah. And then Karen starts to fall for it. She's like, "Oh, it's okay. Just you know, I'll apologize, and and it's you know, just you know, don't don't trust Addison. He's he's really, you know, he's a he's kind of a snake." And and all these other things, but then like she's like, just let me know if there's anything I can do to help you. And she grabs her arms like, oh, there is something you can do to help. <laughs> and then she basically says, I need you to tell, uh, tell I think it's Bill or whoever it was. I need you to tell. Oh no, Lloyd. I think I need you to convince Lloyd to make me the star of the show, uh, because or else I'm going to tell everyone that you you know sabotage the car. Which is never clear how she knows that. How does she know that Karen did that? I think she was in on the plan. Okay, you I, think? Yeah, I think she was.
0: Uh, she was in on it because, like, remember, because it was at that point, like, Karen wanted to teach Margot a lesson, right? So I think they kind of orchestrated. Like, she, you only like she orchestrated the plan with the car and having her miss the training and everything. I don't think Karen knew about the the critics being there and whatnot, but I think she was in on it as far as like just the basics.
1: Yeah, maybe that that does make sense. Yeah, and but <clears throat> but yeah. So basically, she blackmails her into like into getting what she wants. But there's but it's again. This is great scene. This is great acting by Ann Baxter because she flips from the like crying, "Oh, I'm so sorry," and as soon as Karen gets up, she grabs her. There is something, and then that the way she says it is like so evil. She's like, "Oh man, look at this lady is not playing around." Um. But th- when Karen goes back to the the table, it basically doesn't matter anyway <laughs> because uh, uh,
0: Margo's re- retiring. Quote. Yeah, quote. Margo's retiring,
1: so it doesn't
0: even matter. And by the way, for all the folks listening at home, the the new play that Eve is trying to uh, desperately to get in is called "Footsteps on the Ceiling," which is another wacky title <laughs> that makes no sense. <laughs> Aged in wood and footsteps on the ceiling. What is it with Lloyd and these wacky titles?
1: I don't know, but he's America's hottest playwright yeah um but after but after margot says that she's retiring it, 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 karen has this great reaction when she starts laughing and there's this great little comedic moment where like she just starts cracking up and then you see Margot take away her like just take away her alcohol <laughs> yeah.
0: very subtle like you don't catch it the first time but like when you see it it's just it, it makes the scene even better
1: um so basically there doesn't need to be any convincing anybody that Eve's going to be the be the main character because Margot's not going to do it anyway. So we <clears throat> get a montage of like rehearsals and things like that and um then we see a a scene where they're uh Karen and, and um, Lloyd are kind of in bed at night and then they get a phone call in the middle of the night with a uh, person claiming to be uh Eve's roommate. And saying that, oh, Eve's, Eve's, she's having a panic attack, and she's, she really needs someone to, 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 to come over. And you know, I always see Mister Richards coming over, so maybe he could come over or something like that. So it's all, so it's already like, uh oh, she's planting the seeds into like separating this marriage. Like she's trying, she's plan, planting the seeds into, to like have Karen think that he's having an affair with her.
0: Yep, uh, the conniving never stops.
1: And at that point, like you're like, ugh.
0: This bitch. <laughs> like, at that point, like, she's gone like full heel, and it's like, okay, so now we know everybody. Hates her. Like you didn't even get to the end yet,
1: and you already know, okay, this is why everybody hates her. Yeah, totally. Um, so we get uh we get a uh, we cut to like connecticut I think they say where where they're kind of previewing footsteps on the ceiling and addison is out there with with eve and he's she's kind of super excited because she's she's basically everything has fallen to place for her like everything she wanted is 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 now happening and uh she as they're as they're walking around like she goes back to her tower she's like come into to my room i want to tell you something and then she says um she basically says tonight Lloyd is going to leave leave Karen and he's going to marry me. And uh and he's like is he now? <laughs> um, <laughs> because now um now Addison is like all right uh, we're going to put you in your place. Yeah.
0: Like he's playing her so hard here like oh is he now? Like you know oh please do don't spare the details like basically. <laughs> like and he's that... already he knows he she's bullshitting.
1: And then he has this, he kind of gets angry with her after that. Because then he's like, is it possible that you think I'm as stupid as everyone else is? Like, it's such a great line from Addison. Like, I, I I wish I could remember exactly how he said it. But it's something like, do you take me for one of these imbeciles or something like that?
0: Yeah, it, it's a great, I mean, he would slap her too. I think at, he calls them
1: backward children. I think that's what he says. he says. Do you take me for one of these backward children? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, like, just the
1: dialogue here is amazing. Like, I mean, I, I wish
0: I could remember some of it, too. Like, I have something on the tip of my tongue, but I'm sure it'll come to me later. But, like, I mean, at one point, like, he gets so frustrated. Like, he slaps her. Like, uh, yeah. he says, uh, let me see. Yeah, like, he says I something am, to the effect of, some... like, you know, it's possible, even conceivable. that like, you confused me with that gang of backward children you played.
1: <laughs> like, oh, man, like. What a and he boss. goes, I am Madison it. I am nobody's fool, you know, like that that's the one I remember, um, yeah, he slaps her, and he basically goes, "I know what's going on with you um <clears throat> he basically says that uh uh he knows that lloyds not gonna leave, not gonna leave Karen, and he knows that all all of her stuff that uh all the stuff that he that she's been telling people is a lie he says there's no schubert theater he knows she knows that she's never been married and basically he reveals that uh the reason she uh she came out to uh she came out to New York was because uh the last time she was i forget where it was maybe it was wisconsin the last time she was there she had to leave because the uh she had an affair with with her old boss and her boss- and then he gave her like money to disappear yeah um and he's basically like, so you're going to go on, you're going to do everything I say, and I'm going to own you.
0: Yeah, like, he, he, at this point, he reveals to the to the viewer that everything about Eve is a lie. Even her freaking name is not even Eve Harrington.
1: <laughs> so it's like, damn. <laughs> So there's something specific about the scene I want to get to, but I wanna finish like the our the rest of our conversation about the movie before we before I get to it um yeah. but there's something specific about that scene that I wanna to talk to you about about it's an interpretation um so that that's basically uh, after that we kind of are now at the present we're right at the beginning of the movie again where she's accepting the award and she says all these like this gives this flowery speech and thanks you know you know, thanks her first friend in the business business, Karen Richards, and thanks Margot Channing, her inspiration. And then she has so much to learn from everybody and, and then she's like, And even though I'm leaving for Hollywood <laughs> <laughs> I will always come back to you, my friends, if you'll have me and then they, everyone stands up and cheers and it's this whole thing. Uh and then uh the award ceremony is over and uh you know, basically um uh you know Margot comes up to her, like, oh, congratulations. You can, and if you ever miss your heart, you can stick that uh, trophy where your heart should be, or something like that. <laughs> um, and she's supposed to go to this, like, after party, and she's like, I'm, I'm not gonna go. And that is like, well, I'm gonna go, and you don't have, you know, but I'm not gonna, I wouldn't miss this for the world. Um, he drops her off at her hotel where, uh, she goes up to her room and her total demeanor has changed like now that you know everything about her she's she, like just her body language just shows that she's like the way she walks and the way she like moves is 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 now the body language of someone who is in control it's not this like meek little child right? right um so she goes in you know she takes off her her cape or whatever and she's like starts making herself a drink and then she notices that there's a uh intruder in her in her bedroom uh and it's it's a young girl named uh, phoebe uh who is part of the uh who's the president of the eve harrington fan club or whatever <laughs> and um and she's just obsessed with her, and then you know she starts to talk about how much of a big fan she is, and then as as she butters her up, Eve stops trying to call the the cops and instead like starts giving her orders like okay, clean that up or you know fetch me this drink or whatever, you know, and then of course Phoebe starts to do it, and shortly thereafter, uh, she takes the uh, uh, she takes the statue over to the she, Eve instructs her to take the little award statue over to her trunk so she can pack it. Then she goes over there, she sees the cape that Eve was just wearing, she puts it on, she holds the statue, she stands in front of the mirror, and she starts bowing and then, of course, we get the, uh, uh, the moral of the story is this is it's just going to keep going it's, it's a cycle you know <laughs> and it, it what's great about it is that she's standing in front of all these mirror like this these mirrors that are all like looking at each other so it gives the impression of there's thousands of thousands of them you yep. know uh, oh, and she's bowing and bowing and then we get the end so that's 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 all about eve
0: yep uh in a nutshell uh i mean that like that that
1: uh
0: final sequence like especially that that last scene with with the mirrors, is so striking and then it just puts into perspective like everything that came before it, like like you said, like you know the way that they kind of shot it with like the mirrors, the different mirrors, and you like it's like it's multiple Eves in a sense
1: or future Eves, and it's just like, ugh,
0: this is just gonna keep going, isn't it? Mm-hmm.
1: So, what I wanted to go back to about that scene with Addison and Eve, um, how do you interpret that scene? Because I've seen there are three kind of interpretations of it that I've read one of them is like fits with my kind of headcanon right but there are two other ones like one i don't think is as interesting and then one of them i think is interesting but i do, i I want I want to hear your take on it so the straightforward way to to, to interpret that whenever he says you're mine i own you and we're going to you know be together is like the straightforward way to think of that is like he's interested in her romantically and he wants to he wants her to be his and then that's and that's pretty much it right the way I interpret it is, it's not a romantic thing. The way I interpret it is, is that Addison is a uh, is in love not with her. He's in love with the theater. That's his thing. That's his life, and he, her, she represents like a continuation of theater, making theater greater and, and like, uh, something that he will be attached to for the rest of his life, and something that, a star that he made that is his, right? So it's not really a romantic uh, love. It's a, it's like, I want you, you're my thing. This is my, you're mine, you're my object, right? Um, That's how I interpret it. But there's another interpretation of it that I've heard, and there's, um, have you ever heard of, like, the, that there are uh uh homosexual uh under, undermining underwritings to this film. Have you ever heard these interpretations?
0: No, actually. That's actually that's no, I have not. So, heard.
1: <laughs> and the two characters they 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 point at are Addison and Eve. Eve with uh lesbian uh, uh undertones because she's obsessed with 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 Margot and she's copying her and she's you know trying to take over her life and be with her, right? Uh but Addison the way because Let's face it, George Sanders had a very posh way of speaking, right? And a lot of people think that the way he was acting was supposed to be queer-coded. <clears throat> huh. So, uh, you know, because he's very effete, he's very, a little bit effeminate. You know, he's you know he's smoking with those long cigar cigarettes and those cigarette holders that look very effeminate. And a lot of people think that maybe he was supposed to be queer-coded. And whenever he says um, that he wants her to be with him, it's not necessarily a romantic thing, it's more of a he needs her as, like, his like, disguise. His mustache. His mustache, his beard. What do you think about that interpretation?
0: I mean, it's interesting it's a unique way to look at it, I don't know if I necessarily agree with it, but I mean, it is listen, like, it's one of those things where, like, if the context is there and you catch it, like, it could be It's it's a viable, like, Interpretation. I personally don't see it that way, but it's not to say that it's not the intention. Um, it's just you know, it's just something I never really caught or it never really clicked. At least you know that that line of thought.
1: So, the one line that they they point to is is that he says something like, uh, "I'm an improbable person," which is like their way of saying, like, which is you know, uh, it was 1950, 1950 the production C. codes. You couldn't say I'm homosexual or I'm gay. That was like their way of getting around saying that like I'm an impo- I'm an improbable person because that's something that like he shouldn't exist because this is how we are in society, you know? Um it, which is inter- it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting idea. I don't know if I completely buy it, but there have been like and there are other people that have kind of commented and criticized or analyzed it as a as a movie with homosexual themes um but in a negative light, in the sense that the because the two quote-unquote gay characters, Eve and Addison, are the villains of the film, they're the people that are trying to destroy the norm, the heterosexual norms, or something like that. So I think it's interesting. I think that there's... Um, I don't know if I completely buy it, but I think it's an interesting take um, to have, and I I... I wish I would have done a little more reading on it, um, but it, it's it's an interesting take.
0: Yeah, it's definitely interesting, although I'm kind of more – like, the way I see it, it was kind of more the way you described it. Like, he kind of doesn't want – it's not a romantic thing. It's more about, like, what she represents, which is the theater, you know. At, but it's funny because the way I kind of interpreted his relationship with Ms. Castle was more of, like, you know, he was – kind of using her romantically in a way right but with eve it's a little bit different. i think he respects eve more because of what she's done even though like you know he's caught her in lie after lie but it's like the fact that she's been able to get where she is despite all that i think he kind of shows has more respect for eve so when he kind of says like you know you belong to me yeah it's it's about blackmailing her but it's like it's not about you know trying to get with her romantically or anything or sexually it's more like you know you got this far now now you're gonna like be my 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 mold for what the theater is like. You could, you alluded to, so I think that's I think the way it's meant to be. Uh, I think that that's what they were going for. But I, again, like like you said, there's different ways to look at it.
1: Yeah, I, I yeah I yeah again, I, I don't know if I completely buy it, but I think it's it's interesting that people can have that take and they can find enough material within the film to, to have that en- analysis and um, and just because you know. You never know. I mean, just because that's not something that the uh, author, the screenwriter intended, in this case, Joseph Bankowitz, uh, doesn't mean that, you know, certain people might take. He might not have explicitly intended it. Maybe subconsciously did or blah, blah, blah. Right. So you can never tell. I think it's an interesting. It's an interesting theory. Um, but I think that'll wrap our discussion on All About Eve, unless you have any uh, anything else. I don't know. I think we pretty much covered it. Alright, so I'm going to get into uh, a little bit of its legacy here. Um, the The movie did, uh, when it premiered, it uh, did a box office of $8.4 million, which in 2019 dollars uh, is 8 point, uh, $89 million, so a pretty decent hit. Um... At the Golden Globes, it was nominated for several Golden Globes, but interestingly enough, it lost Best Picture and Best Actress to Sunset Boulevard, which is this, which a lot of people consider this film's kind of rival. Uh, so, at the Golden Globes, it lost Best Picture to to Sunset Boulevard, and uh, um, Gloria Swanson beat out uh, Betty Davis for Best Picture mm-hmm. or for Best Actress. At the Academy Awards, however, it was a little bit of the other way around, as uh, the movie. Uh, won a record... Sorry, it received the record 14 nominations. And it won uh, six, including Picture, Director for Mankiewicz, uh, Supporting Actor for George Sanders, I think. We didn't talk enough about him. He was excellent in this film. Uh, Such a sleazy kind of villain. Um, Screenplay for Mankiewicz, uh, Sound and Costume. And it was nominated for uh, Actress for Ann Baxter, Actress for Betty Davis, Supporting Actress for Celeste Holm, Supporting Actress for Thelma Ritter, Uh, Art directing, uh, cinematography, editing, and uh, musical score. It seems Um,
0: like nobody can beat 14 nominations as far as... Nobody's gotten more than that. But can you name the other other two movies that got 14? Titanic. Okay.
1: And... Lord of the Rings? No, not Lord of the Rings.
0: Hmm. Ben-Hur? Not Ben-Hur.
1: Older or newer It's, than it's newer. Older.
0: It's newer. More recent.
1: It's not Titanic. I would have thought it would be Titanic. Um, well, Titanic is
0: one, but there's another way more recent one that got it.
1: It's not Joker, is it? Not Joker.
0: Okay. I think a Joker got 11.
1: Because okay, I knew Joker got a lot, and I was surprised by that. Uh, I don't know. I gave up. La La Land. Oh, I should have guessed La La Land. Yeah, you're right. La La Land did have a ton. You're right. Oh, that 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 year, where they did not, they did not win. It's still a which crazy I still think is a happened.
0: miscarriage of justice. No, nothing against Moonlight, but I'm
1: still pissed about that. I don't. know, I think Moonlight's a better movie, <laughs> but La, La Land is good. I don't. I I think that it Lala La Land got the Forrest Gump treatment in that like it was this really popular movie, but then because it became so popular, everyone started to hate it. Yeah. You know? Whereas like. Sense you know because there there was other movies like pulp fiction and shawshank that were out that year too um and people liked those, you know what i mean that were probably better films but people you know the other one was the most popular one you know so right. i think that's what happened with la la land but la la land is a is a great film and people need to like settle down about it right <laughs> um, so um it's the only it's, it's the only film in oscar history to have four female acting nominees Uh, Which I think is interesting, and none of them won. (laughs) Obviously, it's considered one of the greats. It was one of the first 50 films to be inducted into the uh, for preservation in the uh, Library of Congress for the National Film Registry. Uh, It's appeared in many um, AFI lists, including um, the uh, the AFI 100 Movies. It's number 28, which I thought was kind of low. I thought it'd be up higher than that. Um, In 100 Heroes and Villains, Eve Harrington ranked it at number 23 for villains. Nice. and in the movie quotes, Fasten Your Seatbelts is going to be a bumpy night, is at number nine. Uh, pretty well earned there. Um, the, in 1970, uh, it became a stage musical called Applause, um, and the original Margot uh, Margo Channing was Lauren Bacall. Um, oh, cool. And, and then, interestingly enough, after Lauren Bacall left the production, she was replaced by Ann Baxter. Uh, And then just recently in 2019, a stage adaptation, so not a musical, but a play version of All About Eve uh, premiered in uh, London. And in the role of Margot and uh, Eve, uh, Gillian Anderson was playing Margot and Lily James as Eve. That's awesome. Holy crap. Where's Julian Anderson been is my, my number one question. Right apparently, apparently doing stage adaptations of All About Eve. There, there you go. And then Lily
0: James is a great choice for, for Eve. So,
1: yeah. um, This film is pretty much available on all digital streaming platforms for rental or purchase. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere for free, but it's certainly... You can buy it on all your normal uh, digital platforms. Uh, obviously, we here are at uh, the essential films are proponents of physical media Uh, as we discussed at the beginning i own the all the all about eve criterion and that is what i would recommend uh it has a ton of special features which i haven't even gotten into yet there's like so many special features on this thing um i don't know i don't even have time to go through them but there's a lot uh and so i would suggest doing that the transfer is beautiful and the special features are worth the money so i would go with all about eve on blu-ray criterion
0: which is what I'll be purchasing in a couple of months. Actually, not even, like, maybe a month and a half when they have their sale. I'm hoping that by then, Barnes & Noble is at least open with the whole mass social distancing thing so I can go in and get my extra discount for it. It'll be 60% off of my membership. But nice. if I have to do it online, then I'll, I mean, I'll do it online, but, you know, I'd rather just go into the store like I, you know, like I'm used to doing, get that extra 10%, but we'll see.
1: Um... And that'll about do it for a discussion of all about eve uh now this is the point in the show where we usually bust out the random movie generator, but I'm gonna call an audible uh and I'm gonna say instead of busting out a random movie generator because we did all about Eve and because we briefly mentioned it, I think our next film should be Sunset Boulevard.
0: Oh, I think so too, definitely
1: just because it I think it pairs nicely with all about Eve, so uh it's about you know also about an aging actress uh and uh and you know certain machinations that happened with that and uh you know again it was their it was the big uh rival to all about eve at all the award ceremonies that year so um yeah instead of going through random movie generator i think uh we do sunset boulevard next next time oh it's one of my favorites too That, that, know, that should be a great good movie talk. all right um so uh essentialfilmspodcast.com is the website at com is the email uh, please like the essential films on facebook and follow at essential films on twitter please like rate review and subscribe to us on itunes and please listen to our other show force perspective uh which my friend here will now plug right
0: so you can uh you can follow us uh, you can follow me on twitter I should say at sportsky 515 you can follow force perspective on Twitter at FP Movie Podcast. And on the next episode, again, we're just gonna just kind of talk about what's going on right now with co- with the COVID pandemic and movie theaters being shuttered, when we can expect them to come back, how they can come back. You know, there's some good discussion uh, to be had there because, you know, I'll go into it more on, on Force Perspective, but I did get a survey from Alamo Drafthouse talking about, you know, what steps they could take uh to reopen and the kind of put out like a survey to all like the uh victory members and you know if we did this would it make you more likely to come back if we open and blah blah, blah. but you know it's a cool survey and i'll get more into it on the episode but like we kind of get into even the future of movie theaters at this point because i don't want them to go away but like how can we in the age of, of corona like how can they you know how can and what way can they function basically so should be a good discussion
1: yeah I, I know that one uh one of the things that people have proposed is like, you know, when movie theaters open back up, like you don't have a full capacity theater and everyone has to sit like one every three seats or something like yeah. that, which is like, OK, uh, but we'll see. We'll see how it works.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Um, so that, that'll that do it for this week, uh for this episode. Uh, on the next episode, as we said, it will be uh, Sunset Boulevard. So, Mark, unless you don't have any final words.
0: No, I'm um, good to go.
1: All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, in my best George Sanders imitation, which is going to be really awful, we are critics and we are commentators and we are essential to the theater. Goodbye.